You are now listening to The Jason D'Amico Show. Greetings, folks. Welcome back to The Jason D'Amico Show. Thank you so much for tuning in on Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, YouTube, wherever your favorite streaming platform is. And uh, we're just going to get right into it because our guest has an incredible career on this episode. His professional career as a musician began at the age of 16 as the bass player for Trickster, signing on to their first major label record deal with MCA Records in 1989, selling over 1 million records, placing three number one music videos on MTV. He's toured with bands such as Kiss, Poison, Scorpions, Warrant, and in 2009 joined up with Lita Ford for her worldwide tour for about four years. And in 2016, released his first solo album, Boutique Sound Frames, in which he wrote, produced, and performed all instruments himself. With 2020 seeing his sophomore release, Accept the Change, we'll get more into that. He's also toured consecutively with Mr. Big's lead singer, Eric Martin. And if that wasn't enough, he's recently joined AEW wrestling legend Chris Jericho and the hard rock band Fozzy as about ready to embark on their world tour. Please welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. My friend, Mr. PJ Fox. Uh, thanks for listening to all that. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, when I was writing that up, it was so hard to, I really just condensed. I didn't leave anything out because they're all magnificent. You did know. And I don't, I don't blame you, but we forgot to mention raw. I know we'll get to it, but even that's, yeah, that's right. Raw. Oh God. Too much me. So, I mean, let, let's, let's get into the beginnings. I read uh, somewhere that you started out as a drummer first in kind of your, your youth. And I'd love to get into your beginning stages on how that happened and then how we tra- translate it into bass and songwriting. Yeah, I, I was just, I'm a, I'm a tapper, you know, I just restless leg syndrome and I've always just had, you know, just banging around pots and pans as a kid. And then my mother, you know, decided to get me a drum set. And uh, I grew up in a small two-bedroom apartment in an apartment complex, you know, until I moved out on my own at 16, 17. And uh, so I, my first love is drums. So I always gravitate towards them. No matter what, even to this day, the first thing I hear is I start air drumming. You know, that, that's my first passion. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> a couple of years after I started playing drums, you know, it was just more like playing boom, chop, boom, chop, playing the songs that I... I could figure out my on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't really take lessons or study. Um, just kind of an instinct. And then I went to go put, the, put a band together when I was in grade school. And I had all these friends that played instruments. I'm like, all right, you're going to be the guitar player. You're going to be the singer. I had like three friends that wanted to be the drummer. I'm like, well, who's going to play bass? I'm like, screw it. I'll do it. I'll play bass. We got enough drummers. So I just stepped up and I got a paper out and I, saved up enough to buy a bass. And by the time I got the bass, the band never formed. (laughs) So I started playing the bass anyway, and I wound up just really kind of following it. And uh, I dug it. And my mother enjoyed it better. (laughs) 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 So um, I just started playing that. And real quick, I got into a band. I mean, like, I was 12 years old. And I was already playing with uh, like 19 year old kids. And then from there, by the time I was 14, I was playing in a band with 24, 25 year olds. And then 15, you know, right as I was just about to turn 16, that's when I joined Trickster. So it happened really quick. It's, it's such a, great, bass was a good choice. Yeah. Well, it's such a great instrument. You know, I don't think people realize um, how important it is. In, in the scope of the, sound, the soundscape of music. And yeah. there's so many things you can do with it. Um, the register of the low end, but also the high end, the tones. Um, who were some of your influences when you were coming up? Um, when I first started playing bass, um, Steve Harris, you know, really, he was like, because my favorite bands at that time were Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. you know, Motley Crue, and, you know, the hard rock, typical hard rock stuff. So Steve Harris just stood out. Oh, so yeah. I was like, man, listen to that. 
listen to that P bass and those brand new strings, <laughs> you know, and that clunk and those triplets he's doing. The gallop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was I was all over that stuff. And, you know, early on I got into Jocko. Um, mm-hmm. Not like heavily, not like I didn't sit and study Jocko. I was like, this guy, I don't even know what he's playing, but <laughs> I love it. And what I took from him was his kind of, um, or I tried to take from him, I should say, what um, element really stuck with me was his explosiveness and his spontaneity, where you just be playing something and then just do a quick little run, kind of like Getty Lee. Right. Getty was like that too. And his that part, that spontaneous combustion, when you're just chugging along on a line and then boom, you just rip something. Even if it's just a quick 16th note on the same note, it's just something explosive, not intricate or, you know, you know, millions of notes, just attitude. And the Jocko, so I couldn't play that anyway. So I'm like, but I dug his, his just attitude. That's the what ideas, that's the maybe. I take away from him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The ideas. Um, I've seen videos of him where he was doing things. It's like, Oh, that's where I've heard that before, before even hearing it. It's yeah. like, you could tell he influenced so many players with what he was doing in the seventies with like the chorus pedal and all these just little things yeah. and, and a lot of mid range in the, in the, uh, the overall spectrum of the EQ, mm-hmm. a lot of it points back to him. Uh, well with trickster, how did that happen? I mean, you know, what, how did that come about at 16? Was it just, um, being I was circle? playing. Yeah, I was playing in the clubs right by the time I was 12, 13, 14 with these older guys. And we were playing the same clubs with Trickster um, before I was in the band. And they had already had like a pretty good following right. locally in these, um, in these old ages clubs that we were playing around where we grew up. So uh, we'd be on the same bill like every weekend. And it just came time. They, their bass player really didn't. He grew up with them, but he really didn't fit the band. And, you know, they just kind of made the decision that they had to, they were getting chirping in their ear that, look, you know, I think you guys got to make a change and get mm. a different guy in the band. And um, so they called me. I fit the suit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I mean, Kiss, Poison, Scorpions, Warrant, I think, uh, was it Firehouse? Warrant and Firehouse. Yeah, that was the. Big song uh, what was that? What was that like? I mean, what, what was that? Late teen years you were touring with those guys at that point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was maybe. I think I turned nineteen on that tour. Yeah, I just found a picture of it somewhere. Me on stage every every night at the end of the show, we'd all get come out and do five feet right to party, and we'd all just grab instruments. <laughs> all three bands would be on there. Well, we played on my birthday in St. Joseph's, Missouri. And they killed me with beer and all sorts of shit. And I got great pictures of it. That's great. That That's cool. great. I'm 19 that night. That's what. And uh, moving on to Raw, which is a, a little bit, you know, the would you consider Trickster hair metal? I mean, it definitely was in the genre that you, you know, you call hair metal. Yeah. Um, you know, we were obviously um, in that category. I mean, at that time, any band that came out during that time was a hair metal band. We had long hair, so we were a hair metal band. Um, I do, th- I, you know, I think we kind of, you know, went the other way with as far as look. You know, we came out wearing flannel shirts and our hair just kind of sort of unkept. And, right. uh, you know, just jeans and really basic, really suburban Jersey, typical look, you know, we didn't really have a good Ford stylist or leather pants. So we didn't go that route. Um, so we were a rock and roll band, but whatever, we didn't get, we didn't care. I don't yeah. Care. It just kind of fit at that point. I was reading somewhere that um, because of the grunge era, and this isn't the first time I heard of this where things just kind of it's a shame. Like things just kind of changed very quickly. As much as I love grunge, there were just so many great bands in that era. The, the, the kind of the glam rock hair metal, so many great songs, great musicianship. Mm-hmm. And I, I just always thought it kind of died too soon, but others may disagree with me, but 
Um, I mean, you know, in, in the span of genres, it was around a while, you know, yeah. it, it had its run, you know, and look, nobody would have benefited more from it last and longer than I would have. But I can say, yeah, I think we were at the end there. Yeah. Start get a little repetitive and, you know, what else are you going to do? So. Well, how did, how did raw come about then? Uh, raw came about because I would say, when did we kind of take trickster out back? I think maybe 95, 96, we decided to kind of call it a day for a little bit. And, um, Steve Brown, the guitar player for trickster and I kept writing and recording and started, you know, put a band together, kept changing the name and putting out records and stuff. And by 2001, I got a call from, uh, the singer for Ra, Sahaj, who got my number from a mutual friend and he needed a bass player. So he sent me a bunch of songs off that first record, um, the demos before they did the record. Do you call my name or rectifier? Yeah. A bunch of the big songs from that record. And, uh, I loved it. And he wanted me to do a couple of showcases with them and, you know, kind of join the band. And I was like, Steve and I had a lot going on at that point. Like we were on the verge of getting another deal. So Mm. I had so much invested in that, but I was going to do these shows. I'm like, man, this is great stuff. I'm not, you know, silly. This is great. I'd love to play this stuff with you. Yeah. But the shows never surfaced. And so we kind of came out of touch for a little while. It was around the holidays. So didn't hear back from him. Because I told him, I can't join the band right now. You know, I got to see this through with Steve right now. I got too much invested. And before I know it, six months later, I hear the song on the radio. I'm like, oh, shit. Oh. (laughs) And um, inside of a month from that, I got a call from him again. Hey, man, I'm on the road with Stone Sour. I need you to come out, like, tomorrow. Mm. They had to get rid of their bass player. So I'm like, all right, send me my ticket. I literally learned the songs in a day and a half and flew out there. I just met met him in person walking on stage. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that was in 2002. That was in May of 2002, I think. And, you know, here we are. We just put a record out in March. I think it was March of this year. That, that's pretty dependable. I mean, that's day and a half, Turner, what, two, two days? You're, yeah. you're, the, you're the emergency guy. That's how I did. Uh, that's how I joined Lita's band, too. And, look, everyone's got their thing, you know. I mean, you could, you could throw a dart out the window and find somebody who can play bass better than me. You know, I mean, you can, that's not hard. Anyone can play bass to rock and roll music songs, you know, and it's like, yeah, that's not hard. You know, you got to, what's your thing? You know, my thing has been, you know, you need me to play with you tonight, send me the set list and I'll play it and I'll sing your background vocals. And, you know, I kind of, luckily, all I can remember is songs. <laughs> Ask my wife. I don't remember what you got <laughs> me at the grocery store. I don't remember jack shit else. But if you need me to play with you tonight, I'm there. I'm your guy. And I'll, I'll, I, I don't, I have terrible eyesight, so I don't use an iPad. I don't use cheat sheets. I don't use charts. I don't use any of it. I just digest it and to the best I can. And, you know, I like to just come stage ready. You know, I, yeah. I got a call from Lita. I had to learn 15, 16 songs in 24 hours for her, too, and um, background vocals and everything. And, you know, I was like, this is, you know, again, like I said, anyone can play these songs for the gigs that I'm going out and get called for it and play them, you know, maybe circles around me. But, you know, I want to be able to play them like better in the sense that I want to play them the way you expect them to be played and without uncertainty, you know? Yeah. I'm ready. My thing is I want to be able to come ready. That's, that's amazing. That's great. Um, I mean, Lita, again, great, artist great career um i also have eddie trunk on here as far as this little side shoot around the same time frame i, I you grew up with eddie i think right in jersey yeah he's a jersey guy he's a jersey guy and uh you know so we've known eddie for you know 30 years he's how about guy. how about zach wild did you ever stumble across pass with him because I think he was Jersey too for a little bit. He, he was actually, you know what? We used to play the same clubs too. And I, I never met Zach up until a year and a half ago. Wow. Yeah. It was kind of funny. I, um, I, I know his bass player, JD. Mm-hmm. And I was playing in Cleveland 
And they were playing in Cleveland Lula, right across the street. So I went over to their gig afterwards and they were already done. And again, I'd never met Zach. So JD's like, yeah, come on, let's go on the bus. You know, Zach's up there, I'll introduce you and everything. All right, cool. So we're going to the bus and he goes open the door, just being polite, open the door, here, go ahead, go up, right? And I traveled for many years on a bus. I know etiquette. The last thing, if you're sitting on a tour bus, the last thing you want to see is some guy that you don't know walking up on your bus. You go, just, just your feathers go out. Like, what? You know? If it's a girl, that's one thing. You, you give her the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, but a guy, no swinging dicks coming on the bus. You know? Right. So I started stumbling upstairs thinking, am I playing that over my head? I know my rule. Right. Like, ah, let me just do it, right? I walk up the three steps of the bus and Zach's sitting right there and I just crack a joke. I'm like, hey, somebody called a cab? And his security guard's sitting there. He gets up, he's like, can I help you? And I was just like, whoa. And JD comes up, he goes, well, hold on, hold on. This is BJ. It's a friend of mine. Hold on. Whoa, stop. <laughs> stop the clock. And I'm like, God damn it. I knew better. I knew it. I almost just got killed. <laughs> Black Label Society's bus first, cracking a joke. I knew better than that. I said, it's my fault. I should have never done that. So that's how I met Zach for the first time a year and a half ago. That's, that's great. How, uh, how was the meeting? That was awesome. Yeah. I mean, again, we grew up in Jersey, so you, we, could, we literally sat there for two hours just, just talking to all of our mutual friends. Yeah. Close mutual friend, Trump, Mark Weiss. I mean, JD. I mean, so many people. It's, the list goes on. That's cool. That's fun. It sounds, that sounds like a, a BLS incident, you know? Yeah. Um, Eric Martin. I mean, I, I want to get into your solo music, of course, but he's kind of the last name on the list as far as uh, names that you've worked with and are still working with. That. There's a couple more, but I don't Yeah, think, yeah. There, don't, I'm sure, I'm sure there are. Days here. Yeah. Uh, so you were doing a little bit with him during the pandemic and obviously before that, uh, kind of like a, an acoustic thing during the pandemic, but have worked with him um, beyond tremendous talent obviously uh any anything that stands out with that time frame that you'd like to touch on um, awesome guy you know, we've known eric for again 30 years i mean we were introduced from mutual friends because just really because my singer had mentioned that in an interview in a magazine he used to warm up to eric martin so eric heard that and he was like oh man i gotta come down and meet these guys so he came to a show and I uh, hung out and we met and we became friends and we went to go see them play. And then my singer and him became friends and would hang out all the time. And then, you know, we would just get together as, you know, whenever we could at that time. Then we lost touch for a bunch of years. And then we did a, um, we did a show probably six years ago and kind of reconnected. And then he had to go to Japan and do a solo tour and needed a, a band. So he called me and Steve Brown and, we get a drummer to play with us and uh, it just kind of felt great. I mean, we got, we always got along great. And once we started playing music together, like, Oh, this is perfect. You know, Mr. Big was kind of going on hiatus. Trickster was going on hiatus and we playing the best of both worlds. Right. So we're like, let's just keep doing it. And then, um, so we did that for a couple of years and in between the full band shows, him and I have been doing for the last probably three or so, three or so years, the acoustic shows where he would normally do it solo, but he doesn't really like just kind of being up there by himself um, anymore, I think. You know, I think he just likes the camaraderie and mm -hmm. you know, he's never played with a bass player doing acoustic shows. So you get a little low end and um, background vocals and then the comedy, me and him just, <laughs> it's, it's quite a show. We, we call it, it's dinner in a show for sure. It's like Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Um, really yeah. perfected the, uh, uh, but I'm bummed. And yeah, the MTV unplugged thing, you can't go wrong with it. You know, if you got a great song, great vocals yeah. and, and great vibes, sometimes it's even more entertaining than the, than the full kit and caboodle. It is, man. It is. It's so, we love doing those shows. It's so intimate. And again, we were lucky because we were able to play throughout the pandemic because the show's right. the same. People sitting down, you know, it's not like we were playing to festival crowds. You know, yeah, the hell's a difference. It's basically the tables are six feet apart. It's the only difference. So we, we could keep doing that. And um, 
you know, there's really no rules. It's not, you know, we don't take it too serious. We don't have to worry about the flow. And, you know, if something goes wrong, it's like, oh, man, we're killing the momentum here. You know, it's, it's okay to be funny. It's okay to make, well, it's not okay to make mistakes, but we do. Um, <laughs> we laugh at them. And, you know, it's just, it's just really freeing. And especially for him because he's got the gift of gab, you know, Mr. Big Mouth. Um, <laughs> but it, it works in our favor in shows like this. It's really, it's really something to see. <laughs> well, let's get into your solo work, which, um, I really, I, I heard chokehold, uh, back in 2020 when it first came out and some of your other singles, but today I really had a chance to kind of digest, um, your discography, soul discography. And I mean, uh, I was a fan before. Now I'm a super fan. Uh, I mean, ser- just really love the songs and the the production choices. So emotional, um, melodic. These are just kind of the, the the words that I had. I'd love to hear kind of your writing process on, you know, Sucker Punch, what you do, kind of those, those types. Just really so many different styles combined into one. And uh, I just have an appreciation for it. I really do. Thank you. Oh, bless you. Um, I don't know. Uh, say, for instance, Sucker Punch was a song that uh, I had that little chord progression. I wanted something moody. I wanted to write something moody. Yeah. And um, with a big, catchy-ass chorus out of nowhere. <laughs> So really just kind of, I just started droning away on these open strings and I didn't want to move much. None of my songs are hard to play. They're all the same thing. It's just built up dynamics. Right. You know? Right. Um, I don't like to get too busy. You know, I think it's, you start fishing around, it seems forced to me, you know, I'm trying to break that mold a little bit and try to branch out a little bit and get away from my routine. But, um, so that song in particular was gets kind of put me in a trance. And then I made this one little change going to the pre-chorus. I'm like, well, that's good. And it really just kind of wrote it. was one of those songs that wrote itself. You know, I didn't spend much time on that at all. Um, the chorus came out really easy. You know, that was, that was a song. And it's funny because it's one of the longest songs I've ever written. And generally speaking, you'd think that the longer songs you take the most time on. But I just went... Full on, let me follow the flow of this song. I'm not thinking edit. I'm not thinking time. I'm like, I wanted mood. I got mood. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of downtime in it, and I was okay with it. It all has its purpose. Every part with, without a vocal, you know, has its purpose. So I just let it be. It's kind of like the centerpiece of the record. And um, I don't normally write songs like that, but I'm like, fuck it. It is what it is. It wrote itself, so I ain't fucking with it. It's great. It was the first one I heard today and I was like, man, I'm, I'm into this. And I, I just, I just kind of kept rolling with it. Um, what about the recording process? So you on, on boutique, you played everything on there, kind of produced everything. Um, walk me through that process. You know, do you, do you start with drums usually, or maybe a, a scratch just kind of what's your, what's your flow? Yeah, well, um, basically what I do is I'll I'll put down a click and I'll put down a scratch guitar track. Then I'll go do the drums and then start building the guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, put down a scratch bass and uh, do a vocal. And then you, it's weird. I like to I like to do the bass track last. That's like Paul McCartney. Really? I've heard that before. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I thought it was weird, and I kind of every time I go to. You know, if I'm in a studio and I, I say, can you just, can I do it last? And they're like, I'm fucking doing the rhythm. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how to overplay if you ask me to, but I don't like to do that. But I don't know I, if I have the opportunity to do it last, I like to really digest the vocal and see where I need to stay away from and mm-hmm. see where I need to kind of, you know, give a little. It's, it's another way to speak up and shut up. Wow. So, um, if I have the opportunity and the luxury to track last and on my own stuff, I do. So um, I would do a proper bass track last after I do the vocal. 
Yeah, that's cool. Uh, accent the change last year. Um, mm-hmm. So still pretty recent. Uh, Chokehold, Let It Rain, great songs. Uh, those are the ones that I've got highlighted here. Um, what was the writing process for that like? How did those come about specifically? Um, it started out with the uh, first song I wrote for the record was Walking Backwards, which is the second song in the record. And the second song I wrote was Wait and Fade, which is the first song in the record. <laughs> yeah. And those are also the first two songs I recorded for the record. Um, wasn't looking to write a record. It's just, you know, between the time, Boutique Sound Frames, I wrote 20 years ago. It's almost more. Somewhere. Wow. And recorded a lot of it. Aside from like two or three songs. Nice. If I answer this phone right now, it's his interview. I'm like, I'll tap out. That's up to you. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of time in between records. Uh, aside from like three songs, which I recorded um, in 2016, I think. Um, a lot of those songs were recorded on ADATs in like 2000. So, you know, and then I had kids and a family and I was Mr. Mom during the day. So I wasn't really writing, completing songs of my own. I would write for Trickster or, you know, whatever, whatever else I was doing at the time and contributing where I had to, but I wasn't completing. I was collecting, but I wasn't completing. But, you know, once my kids started going to school, you know, I had time to kind of pick up the guitar and let it happen. So those two songs came to me. Walking Backwards came to me first, then Wait and Fade. I'm like, ah, let me record these. Because I like to, once I write a song, I got to get it down. I'm insecure in the sense that it's a shit, you know, so let me record it and do it bells and whistles the way I hear it and listen to it go, no, that's pretty good. Uh, Let me do it again. I wrote another one and record it and convince myself that it's good enough to keep going. Right. right. So then I just kept going and the the songs kept coming and I'm like, all right, I guess I'm doing a record. And I I knew I didn't really, I didn't want to do it the way I did the last record. I didn't didn't want to play everything because I didn't have to this time. The first record, I just kind of was in the studio anyway. And it wasn't like, Hey, let me call up these guys. Let's get studio on lockdown and we're doing a record. Here's the schedule. You know, it was like, I got a song. Let me go, me and Steve were writing and recording all the time anyway. I'm like, let me go, you know, lay this track down. It was just kind of like an afterthought. Yeah. So that's why, that's the only reason I did everything myself anyway. Um, I wasn't trying to be, you know, Lenny Kravitz or Prince or anything. I just, necessity really. So this time I was like, let's, I want to get people who are better than me. You know, so there's some songs that I played everything on, but like I worked with Sahaj, the singer for Ra, on four of the songs. And, you know, I, you know, would lay down the scratch guitar and the bass and the, uh, the vocal. And, you know, we would kind of build like a superior drummer track. And I'm like, all right, let's, this, this is what I want, you know. And, you know, here's my idea. And I would let him kind of build, you know. I, and that freedom was really cool for me. It was exciting for me, you know, to kind of think outside the box and get some different. I just wanted, I wanted it to be different than the first record. The songs written the same I still I think have a consistency in the tone the overall tone and the place that the songs come from emotionally um so I think that common thread is still there but I wanted it to you know have evolved so I didn't want to have to do everything on every song again your uh, your vocal is great and I'd love to hear kind of how you developed your style um, or was it really based on the scene with Trickster and kind of those earlier days of just because everybody knows anybody who can sing a great backup vocal is twice, three times more hired, you know, right. and if you're easy to work with. And I was just curious to see how that came about because it's a, it's a strong lead vocal. Oh, thank you, man. It, it definitely didn't come from the, like the Trickster in that kind of era because I can't sing like that. You know, my, my approach, Me neither. <laughs> my approach is totally different. It's like, <laughs> I don't even try. Um, I really kind of honed into singing. Um, probably not until, not until later, really not until I was like 20, 21, 
and, you know, got into the Beatles and then just singing every Beatles songs every day. I was just, before I knew it, I was like, I was getting better and better. I didn't even realize it. Mm. And I studied with Don Lawrence in New York. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, he taught me how to do it properly. Um, and I just never stopped doing it. And I don't know, I never, I guess because I never considered myself a singer, I never thought I had to develop a style. So I just sang with an honest tone and a, whatever was easiest for me and uh, the most, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Transparent. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that's mm-hmm. really going to connect. You know, I think if you try to put a little too much shit on it, I think it's a little, you know, I just never wanted to sound forced, you know? So I think, um, and again, not being the lead singer, I didn't feel like, all right, I got to have my thing. You know, I was just like, I'm writing some songs and I'm, I'm going to sing them. So I'll just sing the songs. I didn't feel like I had to come out sound like, you know, Axel or, uh, you know, John Lennon or anything. I just sang. So yeah. I never really developed the style. Well, that's, it's so important uh, to find you. Um, and that's one thing that, like me personally, that I've worked on for years at this point. And it, it's tough because there's so many great influences out there. But at the end of the day, you know, what do you sound like? Yeah, I mean, and, influences, influences are in everybody. And they're going to come out. Yeah. You know, whether you know it or not, they're going to be in there. and People are going to go, you sound like this, you sound like this, you sound like this. I'm like, I know. It's all in the same bag, so it's just going to come out. You know, as long as it's being filtered in a genuine way. Right. Of course, you you know, people are going to hear influences. I mean, that's obvious. I mean, that's how everything is shaped. You got anything new soul-wise that you're cooking up right now or just kind of focusing more on uh, the fuzzy material? raw material, which we're going to get into right now um, yeah. and actually segue in. No, I mean, I've, once I put this record out, I was like, uh, you know, I mean, this record for me was definitely maybe the most important record to me that I've ever been a part of. Um, obviously, because it's all me, it's my, my songs and stuff, but, you know, um, and go, you, you know, putting a record out, Making a record, a lot goes into it. Yep. Emotionally, physically, financially, the whole kit and caboodle. And, you know, there's the return is not matching, you know, which is fine. Ain't nobody doing it to get rich anymore. You know, I didn't put out records. I haven't put records out in the last 10 years to get rich, you know, and I've put out probably 10 records in the last 10 years, maybe more. I don't even know. And, mm-hmm. I don't sit there going, how many records do we sell today? You know, I know I'm not making any money off of record sales. Nobody buys them. I get it. Um, it's just a labor of love. But um, so I'm in no rush to get back and do it again. Um, being, I mean, it's still fairly new. I just put the video out for Show Cold a couple months ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I've still yet to really get out and do some shows. I've done half a dozen shows supporting the record. But now we're back open. I mean, once my schedule lightens up a little bit, you know, I think I can kind of prorate some touring on it. You know, say, hey, right. couldn't do it last year, but I'm not going back to make another record just to make it fresh in everyone else's ears. Like, you ain't even heard my last record. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. if I can go out and do shows and play, you know, my first two records and, you know, whatever else I feel like playing, you know, I'm going to do it. But I'll get back into it. But once I put my record out, I really got super busy with yeah. Ra, with Fozzie, with Eric and live shows and, you know, um, just poof. Really well, we, we got, we got to touch on Fozzie real quick because, uh, that first of all, the, the, the new music video for Sane is insane. Uh, and it's one of the coolest things I've seen. Um, how, how did you get involved with, with Fozzie? Uh, a couple of mutual friends, I think. Right. And then, yeah, um, I've known Chris for about 20 years. I think, oh, wow. Give or take. Um, you know, we'd really become close over the last five years, I think. <clears throat> and um, 
we started this. He called me one day, right? Then the lockdown started. And he's like, you know, obviously he knows I love Kiss. We have that mutual, you know, love for Kiss. And he's like, hey, you like 80s Kiss? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I'm doing a, you know, like a split screen, you know, the Zoom thing that everybody was starting to just do. Mm. He's like, it's me, Kent, who plays drums for Luke Bryan, Joe McGinnis, who plays in Classic 78. And we're going to do a couple of deep cuts. I'm like, cool, which ones? And he told me, no, 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 and Heart of Chrome. And I'm like, holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's badass. So, you know, I figured I would just have some fun. Meanwhile, me and him text every day. Me and him have like text threads. Probably, I probably have five or six different text threads with him and other people. Right. Just mine and his thread. So nine times out of 10, my phone goes off its text. It's his name with some thread. So we're always in communication. And um, so we're like, all right, we're doing these songs. It's great. And then um, we did No, No, No. We did the video for it. Then we did Heart of Chrome. We got Bruce Kulick in on it. He played the guitar solo and the lead stuff on it and did the video with us. Um, and, you know, Chris, he doesn't do anything small time. Nah. So, no, no, no. I got up to number 25 on the rock charts. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so that was pretty impressive. Um, and then we did uh, Love's a Deadly Weapon and filmed a, a killer video with that. But anyway, in the, in the beginning stages of that Kiss Quarantine with a K band that we started, um, Fozzie had some touring to do in August of that of last year. And um, their bass player, he didn't want to go out and do anything in the pandemic. He was just like, no, nah, I'm, you know, I'm all good. Mm. staying home. Mm. So they called me and I'm like, sign me up. And, you know, I was just going in, you know, kind of help him out, you know, you know, in respect, he didn't want to tour and things were crazy back then. We were going to do Sturgis. So it was like, you know, right. going into some, you know, testy waters, but I was like, fuck it, man, rock and roll. Let's go. Yeah. And, uh, and then we did that. And then we were supposed to do a tour in October that I was going to do. That got pushed back. Then I wound up doing a pay-per-view thing with them. And um, after that, they were just like, you know, hey, man, that was fucking awesome. You, you're the guy. So I was like, it turned out just, you know, help my buds out. And uh, just wound up being, uh, it was really awesome. I mean, I got on the bus first day and just met the guys really. Aside from Chris, I knew Rich Ward, the guitar player, a little bit, but um, it was just a really easy fit, like a odd, old shoe kind of fit, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's the band, the whole organization's a great bunch of people. They have a lot of respect for each other and a group of, you know, you know, just, you know, just well, uh, well-adjusted fellas, <laughs> you know, no, you know, I didn't come off the road that first time going, Oh man, would it be great if that guy wasn't fucking <laughs> or, you know, just an asshole or, you know, this, that was none of that. It was just like, man, that was enjoyable on every sense. Right. And so I was like, they asked me to be the guy and I'm like, hell yeah. So you guys, you've got a pretty busy schedule coming up. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty intense. Like I'm, I'm used to you know juggling a couple of bands, um, but it finally crapped the bed on me this time because between Eric shows Fozzie and Ra, Ra finally has a you know small block of dates in August um, that I'm just not. They came in too late and I was committed. I couldn't do. Them. I got Eric dates and Fozzie stuff, and so I, I unfortunately got to send in the wolf and send in a sub for me for the couple of that handful of Rashos on this um, can only juggle so much. Right. So hopefully I'll be able to pick up with them um, at the beginning of the year. Um, Cause I think once Fozzie, Fozzie's going to take me the whole last part of the year. And I think we'll probably take a month or so off maybe before we go and do another mm -hmm. run. Cause I think the record's coming out maybe first quarter of the year. I don't know. I find out online when, when shit happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, we'll see. She'll That's cool. That's cool. I, uh, I had real quick on here, uh, best and worst gig experience. If there were, 
one of each that just like, you know, quick stories that really come up in mind, you know, any, anything that uh, stands out. Yeah. Oof. Um, a lot of best gigs. I mean, that's good. That's yeah. good. <laughs> and the one that always stands out, I was bringing up, but you know, if you're familiar with Red Rocks Amphitheater in Denver, Colorado, yeah, you know, that place playing that place at like seven thirty, eight o'clock at night on a beautiful night in midsummer, uh, sold out. You know, if you're gonna play Red Rocks, that's the way to play. I mean, play it any way you can get it. Right. To go on at that time, it's like you too, Sunday Bloody Sunday you know, kind of reincarnated. And so wow. just like so surreal that what a beautiful venue, unique venue, the trail that goes underneath the rocks and you come out in, in the tunnel and you come out front of house and you're in the mountains. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I could go on for days with best gigs, worst gigs. Um, <laughs> probably go on for days with that too. Uh, God, I'm trying to think of something. Off the top of my head, I mean, um, I've I fell through the stage. I think on my very first Trickster show. Oh, yeah, just wow, one foot right through it. <laughs> I fucker came out of nowhere. Wow, yeah. first show, yeah, that was yeah. Uh, off to a winning start. <laughs> yeah, worked out all right. Apparently, yeah. Um, before we get into the last section here, I, I was just one of the themes that kept showing up in your lyrics. This is what I heard. So I'm just kind of going for it. It was kind of a spirituality sense. I don't know if, if there's anything that you like to discuss on that topic, but it, it just felt like there were definitely some deeper things going on on those songs. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not. I'm definitely, I'm not a practicing anything really, you know, when I write, I just kind of, it's kind of just me talking to myself and sometimes me, me talking to myself off a ledge or me having to talk someone else off a ledge or, you know, finding ways to cope, finding ways to, you know, progress, finding ways to, um, you know, appreciate. Uh, so really in itself, it might sound spiritual because i'm really you know working shit out and it yeah. comes out good on paper yeah. and in melody so i i guess that's why you're picking up on that it's really you know how you write when you write you, you write to get the shit out right you know so that's exactly what it is you know it's, it's not there's no made-up stories really and uh you know Susie and bobby met down on the corner and Nothing like, I can't write like Bruce Springsteen, you know? Right. I just write whatever's, you know, bubbling. That's cool. Um, I've got a section here. I call it the shootout, which is, it's, I just say a word that's industry related to the guest and then you just fire a word back and there's no right or wrong answers. It's kind of fun to see what happens. So, uh, drums. Love. Bass. Love, I mean, guitar capable, <laughs> barely. Uh, keyboards someday, <laughs> vocals necessity. Yeah, of all the things I gotta, I have to sing. I don't, I don't know what it is. I love playing drums and you know, tapping, like I said in the beginning, but um. Not to stop the flow of this. No, no, you're good. For some reason, and especially vocals came to me later on in life, you know, but I, I, I have this need to sing more than need to do anything. Like, because uh, it's more of a physical, I mean, playing drums is too, but I mean, I don't know. All I know is that when I have a sore throat and it prevents me from singing, I'm an asshole that day. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty happy what, when did this start? Has this always been a thing? or Ever since I could really kind of sing. You know I mean? Okay. Yeah. Like allergies are getting me and I have to sing or I have a sore throat. Like, really, I'm an asshole. Um, but other than that, I'm pretty, pretty fucking cool. 
even on a bad day. But so, <laughs> I know that, I, that, so that tells me that it really, I, I love singing. It's important. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. Uh, that's it. That's that's great. Uh, stage. Life. Yep. Zone. Uh, tour. Um, God, living. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I grew up living it, and it's in my DNA. Uh, Jersey. Yeah, I had a feeling. Uh, song. Song? Mm-hmm. Story. Writing. Trying. <laughs> and the most important one, pizza. Every day. Pepperoni, right? Pepperoni, sausage. Yeah, yeah. This is the last question. I always save it for the end. Uh, if you could go back in time to your 15-year-old self, knowing what you know now, what would you tell him? Um, well, probably uh, that. Probably don't overthink, and you're going to be all right. You're going to be all yeah. right. I mean, me and even the guys in Trickster, we were young. We got lucky at a young age, but we were never, um, we never took advantage of it. We always kept it lighthearted. We always knew and we always joked that there's a trap door in cloud nine and any day where it, it, poof, we're just happy to be here now. So we always, we never were like, this is our life for the rest of our lives. We're just going to keep going up and take on the world. Our intention was to, you know, but we never just thought we were going to coast up and live the life for the rest of our lives. So it's not like I would go back to myself and say, oh, you know, save your money, you know, because I wasn't, I didn't piss my money away. I lived on it. Um, I didn't make millions anyway. But, um, you know, being that I was so young, you know, 15, 16 years old signing a record deal, you know, if you've told me that at 49 years old now, I'd still be able to be here making music, playing music, um, not only with the music of the genre I grew up in, but also being able to cross genres and kind of remain a sense of relevancy and kind of still kind of percolate and really have those, the, that perception, the two perceptions, you know, of the nostalgia and the current and really be blessed to have that, you know, and just kind of stay the course. Um, and don't overthink adversity and, um, you know, and always try to enjoy it. <laughs> don't overthink adversity. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, cause you know, I mean, look, when Trickster's on top, we got dropped, you know, grunge came in, we were fucking done. You know, yeah. we were just, we we're like, all right, what do we do? Go work at 7-Eleven now? You know, we didn't. Steve and I just kept writing songs, recording, making music, and we just steamrolled through. Wow. And, just the, the fire never went away. And wow. I think, and I, you know, just to get a little spiritual, but I mean, I think that kind of manifested the things that came to me, you know, after all the bands that Steve and I had tried after Trickster had bubbled, but never really got anywhere. You know, I was gifted with the call from Ra and I, before I know it, I was on Universal Records touring the world again and, you know, on a major label. And then, you know, then I was able to come back, put Trickster back together as a reunion, and then do that. And then I had two bands going. Then I joined Lita Ford. And then I put Rob back together. And then, you know, all these calls just started coming in. And then, you know, one thing after the other. And I just never let the fire go out. I never thought I deserved any less just because I had a good streak of luck early on, you know. And it wasn't always you know, glorious, you know, I, I spent my time and, you know, in the clubs and the cover bands and, you know, the late nights and the, you know, the playing to nobodies and still do it, you know, if I, you know, pay the dues. And, um, you know, I always say this sucks, but this isn't it. You know, like, you know, the waiter who's an actor, this, you know, this isn't all I do. No, that's the thing, you know, always tell yourself, doesn't stop here. 
You know, when you start believing this sucks and there is no other way, then that is it. Then it's over. But deep down, I would do the shit gigs and the soul searching gigs and things and still go, ah, fire's not out. That's, that's great. Yeah. I think that's really, that's so that's gravity, gravitational pull, you know, that's so, I, that resonates with me so hard. Uh, I really, and, and to anybody out there who's listening is true artist. Um, hopefully that doesn't sound conceited. You know, if you are, if you're not, if it's in your blood, you know, you know, yeah, I mean, it, you know, if you want to do so, if you want something bad enough, it, it, it comes to you, you know and I mean? Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't walk around going, oh, I, I'm an artist. This is all I can do, you know, and, you know, I'm just so good. You know, I just go, no, I would just want to do this so much. You know, yeah. I think I'm capable. I, I can handle pretty much any gig that I would want to do, you know? So, you know, let them come. <laughs> you know, just keep at it. Keep at it. The good, the bad, the ugly, you know, and, and bring it to you. Make it come to you. I love it. That's great. Uh, PJFarley.net, social media, as far as uh, your handles, if you want to shout yeah. them out real quick. We'll have them in the description box below. But Yeah, at, at PJFarley on Instagram is, is probably the best one, you know. The, the Facebook, I have a Facebook, uh, PJ Farley Music, that I – Sadly, neglect all the time, but I am the main uh, owner of that, the only owner of that page. I have my personal one, but I can't, I mean, that, that's got a limit that's been expired from years. So, I mean, that's pretty much useless. Instagram, I would say, is really the best. And the uh, new Raw record coming yeah. out soon. It came, it came, the record came out in March. The first single and video for the song called Intercorrupted came out in March. And we're getting ready to release a single for a song called Enough, which um, has Dustin, the singer of Star, uh, Star Set on it. Awesome. So um, that's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. And, that's great. Uh, yeah, check out the video for Sane. Shot on a roller coaster. My very first, very first roller coaster ever. Um, that single's out and really doing great. Um, so, man, I'm blessed. That's awesome. Uh, any last words, any, anything at all? This was great. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on and, uh, to finally do it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, you guys have been watching, listening to the Jason Amico show. Definitely check out PJ's, uh, new ventures coming out, catch him on the Fozzie tour, catch him with Eric Martin, catch him with, you know, all the, all the great projects he's involved with right now. And we will see you all on the next episode. Right on, man. Peace.